0: Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. Stay in the loop with what we're up to. Follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. In
1: uh, in 2017, the New York Times ran an article with uh, the headline, "The Internet's Broken." Now, it wasn't just a headline. It was actually part of a quote. It came from a guy named Evan Williams. Evan Williams, uh, if you don't know, is the co-creator, a blogger, also one of the founders of Twitter. Uh, Admittedly, two platforms that have been created, this is kind of their words, created uh, with the hope of giving people uh, the freedom and ability to express what they think, how they feel, their emotions, whatever it is online. And what's interesting about this article uh, is that uh, the interviewer asks asked Evan Williams, says, you know, how, how would you say this is years after these things have been created, these things have started, uh, there's been lots of people using them, right? How are these things going? This giving people the ability to, to kind of say whatever they want, whenever they want, uh, express their feelings, express their thoughts and opinions out on the internet, how do you think it's going? Evan Williams just looked at the interviewer, and, and that's where the quote comes from. He says, I, I think the internet's broken. I, I think the internet's broken. And, and not only that, he said, I've been thinking that for a long time now, but, but not only that, I think it's getting worse. I think it's getting worse. How so? Well, well uh, the article goes on, and it says, uh, Facebook, again, this is 2017, so a few years ago, people are using Facebook to showcase terrible things, suicides, beatings, murders, all in real time. Twitter is a hive of of, uh, trolling and abuse that seems unable to stop. Fake news is running rampant. According to a Pew Research survey, four out of ten American adults say they've experienced harassment online. This is four years ago. I mean, imagine what else and how many more we could add to that list. He also said this. I think it's interesting. He said, I thought once everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas, I thought that the world was just automatically going to be a better place. I thought if I could just create something that could give them, give us the ability to say whatever we want whenever we want, that it's just gonna make the world a better place. I was wrong. I was wrong about that. The internet's broken. But of course it's not just the internet, right? Like, it's the culture. It's, it's our world, too, because we see sometimes we experience the same kind of brokenness, the same kind of harshness and cruelty, the ways in which our culture at, at, at times, it can be a pretty unjust, it can be a pretty unforgiving, it can pre- be a pretty unjust place, yeah? I mean, think for a second. Think for a second how often people, human beings created in God's image, human beings, created in in god's image how often we we reduce people to their ideologies so we don't see people as much as we see their political preferences we don't see people we see conservatives we don't see people we we see uh, liberals we see libertarians we don't see people we see social justice warriors We don't see people, we see snowflakes, whatever, right? We don't see people, we see skin color. We don't see people, we see sexual preference. We don't see people, we see gender. Now, of course, that's an overstatement. That's not everybody always, right? A lot of good things, but it's kind of true, it's kind of true that, that that is what's happening right now in our culture, that we reduce human beings, people made in God's image, to ideologies. And when we do, what happens? We become increasingly quick to quarrel. We become increasingly easy to offend, don't we? And when that happens, what happens? We, we become divided. We become divisive, at odds, suspicious, angry at each other. And when when a culture becomes angry and at odds, what do we do? We tribalize. We form groups. We form our cliques. We get our people together. And then we cancel. And we call out. When you're not inside, when you speak against the inside, you're called out. And when we call each other out, when we cancel each other, we virtue signal while we do. I'm good. You're bad. It's us first then. The good, the bad. The righteous, the unrighteous. I mean, to an extent, this this is one of the reasons that, that social media has become so transformative. I think Evan Williams might even say broken because there's always a mob, there's always a crowd ready, right? There's always a crowd ready to pounce, ready to call out, ready to shame others for something they did, something they think, something they said. I talked to a guy the other day and, and he said this to me, uh, literally said this to me. And I think he was kind of kidding, but I say kind of because it's like one of those 50-50 deals, right? Uh, he said, I would literally rather die than being canceled. And it's funny. You can laugh. I would, it sounds, you can laugh. It's ridiculous. And yet, not a single one of us in this room wants to be canceled, do we? Nobody wants to be canned. Nobody wants to be called out. In fact, it's why a lot of us are walking on eggshells, afraid of saying the wrong thing, afraid of liking the wrong posts, sometimes even defending an innocent person when the crowd is against that person. Why? Why are we afraid? Because we're afraid of the crowd turning on us. That's part of the culture that we live in. Now, obviously, it's not the entire culture. There's good things about our culture, but, but if we're honest, this is some of the really bad They're really broken in our culture right now. And so if that's true, then we have to ask the question. We've got to wrestle with what do we do? How do we respond? How do we respond to the cruelty? How do we respond to the outrage? How do we respond to the darkness? We've got a few different options, right? We can we can retaliate. The world hates me, so you know what? I'm gonna hate the world. Outrage with more outrage, cruelty with more cruelty, division with more division. If it's not retaliate, we can also run and hide, We can retreat, we can isolate ourselves, insulate ourselves, put people like us and people that we like around us and keep everyone else away. Or we can lean in. We can lean in and let God use us to push back the darkness, not retaliating, not not retreating from it. No, instead, pushing back. See, See, what did God do? What did God do when darkness entered the story, when brokenness came into the world because of human rebellion and sin? How did God respond? Did he retaliate? Did he say, you know what, that was a really stupid choice, and now, because you hate me and your rebellion, you know what, bummer for you, I hate you. Does he retreat? Does he say, you know what? They did it. They got to figure it out. Let them them deal with it. No. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't retreat. What does he do? He, He sends Jesus into the story. He sends Jesus into the brokenness. He sends Jesus into the darkness. Why? Nick said this earlier. To set us free. To reconcile us. To make peace with us so that we could be a part of making peace with the world. I think that's why Jesus says, we're continuing our our Beatitudes series. I think that's why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers in a culture of outrage. Blessed are the peacemakers in a culture of anger. Blessed are the peacemakers in a cancel culture. Blessed are the peacemakers in a culture at odds with itself. See, Jesus' words seem somewhat radical to us, and yet they were just as radical to the first century audience that he was speaking to. That's because at the time there was a a rise of vigilante-like fanaticism, I don't know how else to describe it, among a group of Jews that that turned into a full-blown movement of resistance, Jewish resistance against the Roman Empire. They were called the Zealots. And and the zealots, they they were this political movement that that sought to incite fellow Jews against Rome, against the injustices that Rome was committing. But they sought to incite them to use force, to let anger turn into force, to run Rome out of Israel. And no doubt, when Jesus is speaking to to crowds, to people, maybe even here in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, that, that there are zealots among the people, listening Seeing Jesus, hearing His teaching, hearing his thoughts, hearing His ideas, and imagine how countercultural it would have been to hear Jesus say, "Blessed are the peacemakers," to a group of people that's trying to incite violence." But Jesus says, "No, no, 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 no. Instead of seeking justice through violence, turn from retaliation to reconciliation. Instead of seeking justice through violence, turn from retaliation. To reconciliation. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. See, see we hear peace, and, and I think we hear, maybe at least, we hear inner peace, right? We've got, we've got apps that help us get inner peace. We've got exercises that give us inner peace. But that's not, that's not what Jesus' Jewish audience would have heard. It's certainly not what, what Jesus is talking about here. No, what, what Jesus is talking about and what this audience would hear is, is You've heard this word, shalom. It, it's, it's, it's this Hebrew word. It's, it's, it's how the, the Jews, when, when Jesus is talking about peace, it's the word that would have come to their mind. What's shalom? Shalom, it, it means universal flourishing. It means wholeness. It means delight. The, the kind of peace that, that uh, to summarize, the way things ought to be. Right, contentment in our relationship with God, contentment in our relationship with, with each other, contentment in our relationship with this creation that God has made that He's given to us. And so Jesus is saying, happy are, are, are you when happy are you when you bring Shalom when you bring peace, not retaliation. Happy are you when you bring flourishing. Happy are you when you bring wholeness. Happy are you when you bring delight. Happy are you when when, when you bring joy. Happy are you when you bring life to people around you. See, peacemakers bring peace. Peacemakers bring shalom, and we do it. They do it because that's what God has done. He's brought peace himself. And so the second half of this verse, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Children of God. I've mentioned this before. I've got three kiddos. Uh, some of you know them. Some of you babysit them. Bless you. Uh, my oldest, though, is, is Lily, my daughter. She, um, she's great. I, I shared that I was going to talk a little bit about her tonight, and she was uh, a little embarrassed but mostly excited that Daddy was mentioning her tonight. But one of the things you've got to know about Lily is, is Lily has this laugh right? And, and Lily's laugh is legit equal parts maniacal and equal parts joy. And then on top of that, it's like, you know, loud, like really loud. And, and my daughter, when she laughs, and especially lately, for whatever reason, uh, she's, she's doing this thing now where she stomps her foot. Like she's laughing and she's just, you know, just do, jumping around. Looks ridiculous. I think it's hilarious. Uh, and I'm talking to her about it one day. I'm like, Lily, like, where is this laugh coming? Like, the stomping, the jumping, the, the cack, like, where is, literally out of nowhere. I have no idea how my wife even heard us having this conversation. Pops out around a corner like the butler and Mr. Deeds, uh, which you actually probably have no idea what that reference is because I'm old. Anyway, comes out of nowhere. And She said, are you kidding me? And I look at her, I'm like, what did I do? And she goes, she laughs like that because you laugh like that. And I was like, you're right. I had no idea why I I'd never connected the dots. It's also probably why I think it's so funny when Lily does it. But here's the point, right? Lily looks and acts like I do in more ways than one because she's my little girl. Right? Lily mimics her dad. That's what Jesus is getting at here. When, when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, that blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God, Jesus is saying that, that children of the Prince of Peace. One of the titles given to Jesus in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, children of the Prince of Peace should look and live like the prince. If we're children of God, we should look like God. We should live like God. We should push back the darkness in a culture at odds with with itself. We don't retaliate. We don't run. No, we bring peace. We bring shalom to a broken world, to broken relationships. It's the broken selves. See, I think sometimes we, we we hear these, you know, these these conversations, these talks, sermons, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, about peace, and we, we kind of think, yeah, that's great, but yeah, not so much for me. Or it's, Or it's like optional that, you know, not everyone has to do this. I want you to see how serious the Bible is about making peace with each other. This is Matthew chapter 5. This is a few verses later. Still uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Now, a couple things. First, I think that sometimes we hear these verses and we get them wrong. We flip them, right? We think that what these verses are saying to us is that, that if we have a problem with someone, if there's a conflict, that, that we should go to the person and, and, and share and talk and, and let that person know what they've done. Now, that's a good thing. We should do that. When we have conflict with people, we should go to people. We should talk about that conflict. We should deal with it, and not avoid it. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what these verses say. Jesus says that, that if a brother or sister, he's talking about Christians, fellow believers, if, if you know that, that, that someone has something against you, they don't come to you, you go to them if you're aware of it. If you know that there's something that someone, a fellow believer has against you, you leave your gift at the altar and you go to them. And we don't, I, I don't want us to miss this because, because what Jesus is saying is that making peace with each other, making peace with each other is so important that a worshiper, worshipers should interrupt the sacred duty of presenting an offering, presenting a gift on the altar in order to go reconcile, in order to go make peace. Now we don't make offerings, we don't leave gifts, we don't have altars up here, that'd be super weird, but what does this have to do with us? What does this mean for us right now in 2021? Well, let me fine point it a little bit. I think what it means is that it's, it's more important for you and I to first be reconciled to each other than it is for you to come here to Veritas. I, I think what these verses are saying, I think what Jesus is teaching us is that it's more important for us to first be reconciled to fellow believers than it is to come to church. Because if we come to things like Veritas and if we come to things like church and and we worship, really our worship is a sham. If we've got conflict in our life that we know about and we're unwilling to do anything about it. Jesus says if we have conflict in a relationship, go, make peace, be reconciled. Don't wait. Go. Go. Make peace. Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Go. Don't wait. See, what happens when we wait? Waiting, it just creates more bitterness, more anger, more frustration, more resentment, poor assumptions. Sometimes we wait and we just think that we'll ride it out and eventually the conflict goes away. It doesn't. It always comes back. And usually when it does, it's worse. Jesus says, go. Make peace. Be reconciled. Now, I know some of you are hearing what I'm saying. You're saying, okay, but, 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 Kyle, I've done that. I've gone. I've I've gone to the person. I've gone to the people, and I've tried to make peace. I've said my thing, and you know what? They're just not reciprocating. So are you telling me that I shouldn't be here at Veritas right now? No. I hear you. And Paul does too. Romans 12, verse 18. This is what he says. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Be reconciled, make peace, that's the goal. But Paul knows that it won't always happen. It's not gonna always happen. But when he says, as far as it depends on you, what that means for us is that we always do our part, we always apologize. We always ask for forgiveness. We always own our part of the conflict, however big or however small. There's always an our part, isn't there? Even if our part's smaller, we own that. We go. We apologize. But we've got to know that sometimes that peace, that reconciliation, it's not going to be reciprocated. That's hard. That's messy. That's a bummer. But Paul is saying, as far as it depends on us, we've got to live at peace with everyone. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. We have to try to make peace, even if it's not reciprocated. And by the way, sometimes with people that we don't really like, we talked a little bit about this last week, but we can't not say it again. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, but you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. There's that children language. Children of God, children of our Father in heaven, don't just love our friends, don't just love our neighbors, Jesus says. No, we love our enemies. We pray for people that persecute us. Pushing back the darkness in a culture at odds with itself means loving people that we don't want to love, loving people that we don't really like, loving people the world tells us that we should justifiably hate. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Some of you uh, uh familiar with Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom uh was a Christian. Her family uh, back uh, during World War II, they helped many Jews escape from the Nazis uh, during the Holocaust by, by hiding them in their home. And eventually her family, they're caught, and they themselves are sent to a concentration camp uh, where sadly later uh, her sister Betsy dies. And, and eventually Corey Tinboom, spoiler alert, you should still check it out, but she, she gets out of the concentration camp And she's sharing, she's going around, she's sharing, and and she's sharing at at one point about um, an encounter that she had with a man. And and the story goes, she was uh, speaking to a crowd uh, about forgiveness. Talking about the ways that God had forgiven us, her uh, uh, people in her life, and, and I, I don't know what else, but, but after the thing, a guy comes up and says, that was an unbelievable message. I'm so thankful for, for your words of encouragement. It's so great to know that, that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Must have been something she said. And then the guy went on to say, you know, I, I was one of the guards at that camp. But since, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruelty. I know that God has forgiven me for the atrocities, for the evil that I've been a part of at that camp. I know that God has forgiven me, but you know what? I want to hear it from you. Will you forgive me? Six's his handout. It's a guy that contributed to her sister's death. This is what she said. It's, it's long, but it's worth reading, so I'm going to do it. She said this. She said, I st- and I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that if you do not forgive men for their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. For a long moment, we grasped, each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. See, the kingdoms of this world tells us to tribalize, tells us to retaliate, tells us to call out and cancel but the kingdom that Jesus invites to, it doesn't play by those rules. No, Jesus' kingdom, it's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of justice and mercy and forgiveness and peacemaking. And so when Corrie Ten Boom sticks out her hand to forgive that Nazi guard, she showed the world, she showed him, everyone watching, us hearing the story now, which kingdom she was living for. And I think that raises a question for us. It, it should raise the question, what about us? And what kingdom are we living for? Not just the kingdom that we say we're living for, but what kingdom are we actually living for? What do our lives show? Right? If we put a, a video of your life up on these screens right now for everybody in this room to see, if you could see my video of my life, what would we all see? What would your video show? Would it show people who love God and and love others? Or would it show people who are easily offended, always suspicious, preoccupied with our own feelings, our own wants, our own needs? Would it show people who are filled with joy? Why? Because of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is in our lives and what Jesus is calling us into? Or, Or would it show rage and anger Resentment, people who are unable to forgive because we just can't let that thing go. Would the video show people striving to, to make peace with other people or, or would it show people who who are quick to argue? We love a good argument. Would it show people who are patient or people who are easily triggered? Would it show people who are kind? Or would it show people that are Too quick to trash others, too quick to to assume the worst, to be uncharitable. Would it show people who are gentle or would it show harshness and sarcasm? Would people see self-control in our lives or or, or not so much? Maybe someday, but not so much now. It's college after all. See, pushing back the darkness in a culture at odds with itself, it means growing in these things. Paul calls them the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. See, children of the Prince of Peace look and live like the prince. Living for, for Jesus' kingdom and not the kingdom of this world, it means living differently than the culture around us. It means living differently at times than the people around us. Music team, go ahead and come back. I want to go back to this thing that Nick's talking about earlier. When Jesus, think about this. When Jesus is being nailed to the cross, when those spikes are are piercing his wrists, when those spikes are, are piercing his feet, when people are hurling insults and taunting and spitting on him, he's being nailed to a cross. What does he say? He says, Father, Father, forgive them. The people nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them. The people spitting on him, Father, forgive them. The people rebelling against him, Father, forgive them. See, Jesus died to redeem us. He died to reconcile us. He died to make peace with us so that we could be a part of making peace, bringing his peace into the world. So who do you need to make peace with? Think about that for a second. Who Who in your life right now? Who do you need to go and make peace with? Who do you need to reach out to this week? Who do you need to reach out to tonight? Send a text. Grab coffee. Say, "I'm sorry. I want to own my part. I know it's not the whole part, but I want to own my part. Who is it? Who do you need to reach out to? Do it. Where is bitterness and anger and resentment? Competition, rivalry. Where's that growing in your heart? And because it's growing, because you're harboring that resentment and bitterness and anger, it's, it's preventing you from living at peace with people. See, Jesus is saying to every one of us tonight, go, make peace, reach out. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus makes peace with us so that we can be a part of bringing his peace to a world that desperately needs it. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.